Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. What groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist? Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning, and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the twenty second of May. May, May. <laughs> You're listening to Community Radio Three CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. I'm Giselle. I'm James, and I'm Pierre Morrow. And、uh, that's right. Welcome to another、uh, great program of、uh, of Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlinks. And、uh, we actually, at one minute late, I think I was a bit mesmerised by that、uh, song that the Saturday Breakfast put on, and、uh, obviously a bit of an old song, very Australian type feel to that. So, thanks for that, and、uh, thanks for another very interesting program. And、um, And of course, you listen to Three CR Radio. We've got the radiothon coming up next month.、Uh, we so put your dollars away.、Uh, this station is kept、uh, on air by you, the listeners, and all its supporters. So um, don't um, don't think that um, um, you can rest on your laurels. So we need your support. And but of course, on this、uh, week's program, we、um, have a special guest, don't we,、um, Giselle? Well, we're going to be talking to James, who is sitting to the left of me right now, and one of the presenters of Asia Pacific Currents. Glad he's to the left of you. <laughs> <laughs>、um, actually,、uh, so James, a member of the NTU, but also an academic at Deakin University,、um, is an expert in Iran and generally Iranian. Politics,、um, and for those of you who don't know, that country is currently in its election process. So,、uh, nominations for candidates closed on the 18th of May.、Um, so, all of those people are in. We're just going to、uh, have a have a discussion about the relevance of the Iranian election、uh, for the working class in that country, what it means, whether it's a genuine process, the issues of corruption in that country.、Um, as listeners know,、uh, we've been following the workers' movement. We know that while repression is very, very deep,、uh, and the COVID crisis is also very deep.、Um, It will take quite a level of overcoming the repression in order for a workers' movement to really take hold in that country. That's right. And just before we go to our labour update, if people want to get in touch with us,、um, Giselle, what's the, the those details? That's right. If listeners want to get in touch with us, they can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms.、Uh, did we mention that Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links? So if you want to find us, that's actually what you have to Google. That's right. If some people had been listening at the start of the program, you would have known. That, but、uh, who am I to say that?、Uh, we'll just go to now.、Uh, that's how we, we do things, listeners. We correct each other live on air. That's right.、Um, Self criticism sometimes.、Uh, Pretty sure you <laughs> criticised me and not yourself. But anyway, anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there.、Um, all right. The first one we actually go to Palestine, where we did have a major interview last week. Where on Thursday of this week, thousands of people in Gaza celebrate into the night the ceasefire between Hamas. 
Hamas and Israel, which signified the end of Israel's um, almost two-week-long bombardment of the population in Gaza. Now, this week also on Tuesday and Wednesday, the region witnessed a historic joint general strike by Palestinians inside Israel in the West Bank and Gaza. Hundreds of thousands of workers heeded the call of the strike, which resulted in town after town in Greater Palestine becoming ghost towns. So it, it was really quite a historic achievement um, there. Unfortunately, the capitalists are taking revenge as reports are now coming out that hundreds of Palestinian workers are being dismissed by their Israeli employers. I've also heard another report that thousands of Palestinians within Israel have been arrested by police and the police have and the military have said they will now go into the West Bank to arrest thousands more. So uh, obviously while the war has paused, uh, it is unclear how the issues of occupation, eviction and repression are going to be negotiated in the future. And we should also say there is a demonstration right across the country, but here in Melbourne as well today at one o'clock at the State Library. So please get along in solidarity with the Palestinians. To India now. Scores die despite mass boycott by teachers. With an uncontrolled COVID-19 pandemic, the Indian federal government nevertheless authorised a number of state general elections to proceed. The northern state of Uttar Pradesh was one of these states where the election was held during the last two weeks of April. Teachers are usually drafted in to help in the counting of the votes at the end of the election period. This year, up to 60,000 teachers boycotted this job, with unions claiming that their participation would only expose them to the threat of catching COVID-19. Unfortunately, by mid-May, unions had counted that over uh, over uh, 1,500 teachers had died after being assigned to duties during the election period. In addition, the union stated that the government officials not only did not follow COVID-19 safety procedures, but routinely pressured teachers to work in unsafe conditions. And now to the issue of overwork that causes mass death, an issue we've caught, we've uh, discussed on Asia-Pacific Currents uh, for, for many years. In a groundbreaking study, the World Health Organisation, in conjunction with the International Labour Organisation, found that in 2016, almost 750,000 workers died from stroke and heart disease due directly to long hours. The report found that people living in Southeast Asia and the Western Pacific region were the most affected. The study concluded that many of these dates were not immediate, but the damage from years of overwork could show up decades later. It found that working 55 hours or more a week was associated with a 35% higher risk of stroke and a 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease. The researchers believe that COVID-19 pandemic may have led to an increase in overwork in large areas of the workforce. It's um, I always take the opportunity when we're looking at overwork to... Um, remind people that in Japan, in Japanese, there is a very specific word for that. I'll I'll look it up, but um, that it now exists in that country's vernacular demonstrates just how prolific death from overwork is. Uh, Karoshi, that's the word. There you go. Um, I knew it was in the tip of my tongue. And uh, of course, uh, as the old saying goes, uh, fast workers die young, so join your union. Um, We now go to um, Myanmar. Where with military repression now extending its its fourth month, the military is having trouble holding and pacifying areas. 
While in most urban areas large demonstrations are now impossible due to the threat of mass killings by the military, smaller and quicker protests continue to occur, occur daily in most urban centres, from the smallest villages up to the big cities of Mandalay and Yangon. With many activists fleeing to the ethnic areas on the borders of Myanmar and receiving military training, there are also increasing armed confrontations between the military and self-defense civilian committees in states such as the Kaya, Kachin, Chin and Shan, just to mention a few. Meanwhile, the Myanmar Teachers Federation has reported that around 60% of academics at university and colleges are opposing the junta's reopening of campuses. This refusal comes in the face of the, sus- of the suspension of over 50% of teachers in colleges and universities for defying the military, as well as hundreds of arrests of, uh, of members. And nearby Bangladesh, a journalist has been arrested for exposing corruption. On Monday, Razina Islam, a senior correspondent of the Bangla newspaper Protom Alu, was arrested in a case filed by the Health Ministry under the colonial-era Official Secrets Act. Islam was charged with stealing Health Ministry documents under the Act. She faces up to 14 years in prison and even the death penalty if convicted. Islam has a reputation for her investigative reporting and recently she has been exposing the Ministry of the Health Ministry's lack of coordination and professionalism in dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. Rights groups and media watchdogs say a crackdown on the media has grown during the coronavirus crisis. On Wednesday, hundreds of fellow journalists demonstrated in Dhaka, calling for Islam's release and the dropping of all charges. And in the garment industry with the resurgence of the COVID-19 19 pandemic across South and Southeast Asia, millions of garment workers are facing a harsh choice between choosing taking care of their health and facing destitution or to earn a living but put their health at risk. If workers are required to go to the factory during the pandemic, many will fall ill and many will also die. Staying at home, on the other hand, means inevitable hunger, with migrant workers among those hit the hardest. Labor and human rights organisations are calling on both governments and global companies to extend production timelines, guarantee payment of contracts and implement basic hygiene and infection control standards at all levels in factories. In addition, garment workers need to have access to free and timely COVID-19 vaccinations. I mean, I understand and appreciate those demands, but against the context of what is happening globally. So Bangladesh, which Comrade um, James just uh, told us about, but um, the the uh, destruction of the building and fire accord, so fewer protections for garment industry workers, and then um, the the memory of Rana Plaza that they were compelled to go even after an earthquake that um, rocked the foundations of that building. The chances without an industrial fight to simply get these demands of a clean, safe workplace, vaccinations, and extended timelines. Hello, <laughs> very low. Yes, that's right. The situation is, is quite uh, is quite disastrous, really. And that uh, brings us to the end of the uh, news roundup for the for the week. Um, it's just on thirteen past nine o'clock. We'll have uh, a couple of committee announcements, and then we'll come back um, with James, and we'll have the discussion about uh, what does it all mean in Iran about the the upcoming national elections. Join us to protest the forced evictions and ethnic cleansing in Palestine. 
this Saturday, May 22nd at 1pm outside the State Library. Along with your signs and banners, please bring your masks and hand sanitizer to keep the rally COVID safe. For more information, head to Free Palestine Melbourne's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. on and off since the 1st of November. We're here with a lot of other kids from Castlemaine. From the school strike for climate and trade union rallies to Invasion Day protests and public housing vigils, 3CR's outside broadcasts bring the voices of dissent from the streets onto Melbourne radio. Currently, this can involve crouching on the ground at a rally with a laptop and a mic trying to capture people's voices for broadcast. Your donation will enable us to purchase much-needed equipment to avoid dropouts and delays and provide training for our outside broadcast volunteers. Help get us off the ground so we can get the word out to you. And for one week only, ethicaljobs.com.au will double every donation up to the value of $5,000. Just go to 3cr.org.au before May 27th and click the donate button to help get us off the ground. Quarter past nine here on 3CR Radio, listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Link. So um, just a very on those uh, committee announcements. So don't forget, Radiothon is coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, we will need your support. And, of course, uh, later today at 1 p.m. at the State Library, that demonstration in support of the Palestinian struggle. But um, good morning, James. How are you? I'm good. Good morning, Pierre. That's good. And now, as our resident expert in Iranian affairs, and I've just dubbed you that, so you just have to say yes. yes. That's right. Now, um, for someone out, outside, we'll go into some of the particulars of the Iranian election and what it means. But overall, I mean, from a lot of outsiders, it would seem, um, shall we say, a bit of a, a guided democratic elections because only certain people can actually participate. And who are the people that um, vet the process and what is the vetting uh, criteria if, if it's clear? Um, so thank you, Pierre. Uh, the, the system that they have in Iran, as you mentioned, is, um, is, is tightly controlled. So even though there is elections in one sense, the people who are allowed to run are very limited. Um, the, the vetting process is done by a group called the Guardian Council, who are uh, six lawyers and six clerics. Uh, they're a non-elected body, but they act much like a Senate. So when the legislative body, the parliament, passes laws, the Guardian Council scrutinises those laws to see if they're in accordance with the Constitution and with Islamic law. So that's their essential job. But also they vet the criteria for members of parliament who want to run for election and also the president. What it means is they tend to choose people who are exactly like them in their thinking. And this has become increasingly the case over the years. So within the Islamic Republic system, you have these different factions. And they're all very similar. If you're from outside the system, they're all very similar to each other. But some are more to the centre than others. They tend to be more um, thinking about how to reform the system from within. Uh, Others are more hardline um, and more confrontational. Um, the hardliners tend to have the support of the Guardian Council because that's the thinking of the Guardian Council. 
So in terms of uh, like if I if I was going to put a an, uh, a a uh, picture of what's happening like in in Australia would it be like the evangelist church that Scott Morrison is part of deciding who are going to be all the candidates that we're going to um, vote for yes and they also uh, similar sort of thing and they also write their own criteria so there is a law uh, that governs who can run for president, but the Guardian Council actually just decides they, they add new conditions without uh, changing the law, meaning that they actually have to change the conditions to exclude people they don't want. So this time around, they've said if you're under 40 or over 75, you can't run. And this is because there was a candidate they didn't like who was 38. Uh, similarly, they have an issue with this term, Rajole Siosi, which means political man. This is in the law. This is, uh, Rajol is an Arabic word, not a Persian word, which can mean man in the collective sense, like mankind, human beings, or it can mean specifically the gender. Traditionally, they interpret it as the gender. Uh, the meaning, the reason being that in, in uh, Iranian law, women are inferior to men legally, in legal status, so a woman can't become president. But they're very ambiguous about this. They never say explicitly that we don't exclude women, but clearly they do. <laughs> Because no one has actually got gotten that. through. But, yeah. but I, I have seen that someone like uh, Mahmoud uh, Ahmadinejad, mm-hmm. the previous uh, president, has actually got up. Um, but he was seen as a controversial candidate. Yeah. So why would he be allowed to go up? Is it because there is a favourite candidate who's going to win anyway? Or he, He's nominated this time, but <laughs> he, he won't, it's very unlikely he'll be vetted. So they actually haven't approved the candidates yet. They finished the nominations last week. Uh, he, uh, he did nominate, and he said if he's not uh, qualified, as in they don't approve him, then he's going to boycott the election. And there's a whole story that he has dirt on everybody because he stole documents from the interior ministry when he was in charge and uh, he's going to lay it out if he's excluded um, but he he's a very bizarre character he's waiting for the system to collapse and he he actually privately calls himself apparently the Yeltsin of Iran which I mean I don't know why you would want to be called the Yeltsin of anything but that's what he calls himself um, yes for um for the um uh, for the people who are too young to remember, Yeltsin was certainly a colourful figure in, uh, uh, in 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 Russia in the post-Soviet um, era, and he was famous for, um, shall we say, not being able to get over the airplane yeah, because of too not much being drinking. Sober. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. So getting back to Iran, but so looking at what it means for 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 people, like I, I know there's exile groups in Iran, outside of Iran calling for a boycott, mm-hmm. but is it the fact that the percentage of people going to vote going to make um, is it um, something important, or is it that the election is going to occur? Whoever wins, wins, and that's it. Who, regardless of how many vote, not even if there's a boycott. So participation is a very sensitive issue because because the elections are so tightly controlled, the uh, ruling uh, non-elected regime people tend to appeal to nationalism to try and encourage people to vote. They say, if you don't like our regime, that's fine, but if you don't vote, you strengthen Iran's enemies. Uh, But I don't think it's going to work this time. And uh, there's already indications through COVID, but also through disillusionment of the past four years. And there's been a lot of violence the last four years. There's been two rounds of violent protests, which were violently suppressed. There's been... uh, terrible economic situation. There was a shooting down of a passenger plane. People are disillusioned. Uh, It's unlikely that there's going to be a high turnout. We're talking 40%, maybe even 25% of people turning out. Um, This is a problem because it's a problem for legitimacy for the Islamic Republic. They rely on people turning up to these elections to say that they believe in the system. So you've mentioned a lot of issues that I wanted to come come to the fact, and we'll just look at two of them. The which the the very very um, uh, link now COVID nineteen and the economy. 
COVID-19 has taken quite a terrible toll, especially on, on poorer Iranian, working class Iranian, and their economy has really tanked. How will this play out in, in the election? Well, normally the government people blame foreign sanctions, American sanctions, which have been quite crippling. But at the same time, most people recognise it's not just sanctions, it's mismanagement. Because many people who are at the top are wealthy. They don't know exactly where they live, but they know they're incredibly wealthy. Um, in this election, they always talk about economic issues. It's one of those countries where economy is the first um, issue that they talk about. The problem is, I, I look looking at it as an outsider... I don't believe any of the people are actually going to be there to uh, change things because they're part of the system. And most Iranians would recognise this as well. But with COVID, yes, um, Iran is one of those countries where they've done lockdowns, but people can't really not go to work. If they don't go to work, they don't eat. And we have seen increasing strikes and uh, other industrial action as a result of the the pressure being put on workers um, during this period and the economic tightness of it all. And also, of course, there's, uh, like you said, uh, there is a layer up up at the top who's very rich, often uh, associated with a cleric regime. Uh, corruption is a big issue. Will it corruption um, be a, a theme in the election, or is it one of those things, don't ask, don't say, and it doesn't exist? They have red lines. So people always bring up the term uh, which means mismanagement, which is essentially corruption. But there's only so much you can say. And sometimes they, the candidates do throw mud at each other because they are corrupt. But uh, they have to. Th- there's a certain limit of what they can say without being punished. And it's not just the clerical class. It's also the military class, uh, those who are the wealthiest in the country. And do we have any kind of, especially with the, with the effect of COVID, which has amplified the economic crisis, amplified the divisions in the country, where the, um, now I mispronounce it, the Baj, the Baji, the, that whole uh, militia that... Um, the siege. Siege, yeah. yeah. The, the, the militarised militias, which come from the poorer working class areas, which are are the ones that really go out and repress some of the upsurge. Yeah. Where do they fit into all this? Well, um, they're ideologically attuned. It's not just that they are from the working class. They often are. But they are ideologically uh, supporters of the regime. So essentially they're unofficial police uh, security forces that usually come out when there's protests because they act almost as a paramilitary. It's a way of not employing the police um, and they act with impunity. It's, it's just the way they are. They are a stepping stone to joining the Revolutionary Guard. So they're actually a youth group. Um, but, and there are other groups called Ansari Hezbollah, which is a very similar group, another youth group, uh, which they're built around more the ideology, even though they're young people who come from a working class background. Now, of course, um, a lot of these organisations are well-funded. I mean, part of uh, keeping the allegiance of poor people is to make sure their family eats. Mm-hmm. Given there is economic crisis, the corruption, are there issues starting to show up within the whole clerical Iranian government about how to support you know, these vast numbers of people? Not really, and um, I haven't seen that. Maybe there has been, but they have vast amounts of property. The uh, Bonyards, the system of Vakf, the Islamic system of Vakf, means that they have resources at their, their disposal. The people who are, who are suffering are those who are in regular employment, like in the oil industry. They strike, struck last year, they went on strike last year because they weren't being paid. They were having delayed wages. Uh, so it's people in those situations who are the ones who are getting feeling the effects. So um, I've seen that uh, Ibrahim uh, Raisi is supposed to be the, mm-hmm. the front runner 
Yeah. Um, what can you tell tell us ab- about him, and and what would he do in terms changes t- for the Iranian population, if any? So he's a a strong conservative. So he is essentially the next candidate to bring Iran back to a little bit more of its conservative point of view. Not to say that it hasn't strayed from that too much, but less likely to interact with uh, countries like the United States on a positive way, any measure of positive positivity. Um, but Raisi is a bit of a dark character. He, he he was the head of the Imam Reza Shrine, which is the wealthiest of the shrines and the holiest of places in Iran for Shia Muslims. Uh, he was a chief justice until last week when he resigned. But in the 1980s, he was one of the key figures responsible for the execution of leftist prisoners in uh, in prison. The, they've been in prison for several years, but he was one of the people who was orchestrating that at the direction of Ayatollah Khomeini. So he's got good credentials. Yeah, I mean, all of, all of well, a lot of these people do. Um, some of them are darker than others, but he definitely is he's, pretty he's dark. dark. Um, all right. Well, it's a, it's just on twenty six past nine o'clock. Really, um, one more one more question. To, from from an outsider, it would seem that the, I mean, we all, I mean, in many countries, there's issues with the political system. Uh, but it seems that the way that it's set up in Iran, it's actually more closed than than many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will ha- do you think? Anything will happen in the election, or will it just sort of go ahead, low turnout, and then Raisi will come and say, "Yep, I've won. We're a, we're a great Islamic republic. On on we go, and yeah. we just have to." read the Quran a bit more and we'll be fine. Well, if there's a low turnout, they'll still say it was legitimate, at least from a legal point of view. But there is, they are always worried about violence at these points of time or protests more to the point. Even the chief of police came out yesterday and said they will crush any sedition, which is their term for protest, uh, at its seat. So they are hypervigilant. So there is a risk of, of political violence as a result of this. All right, just very quickly, we do have 30 seconds. Um, who will who will do organised political uh, protest and 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 why? Often it's sparked by somebody uh, for a, a little a specific reason, like dealing with subsidies or something that's gone wrong. But then every other disenfranchised group in in Iran suddenly joins in and vents their anger. So it's it's something that's sparked by one group and then spreads everywhere else. All right. Well, thank you for that, um, James. That was a very um, a good overview of it, and uh, we'll certainly keep uh, abreast. And when is the the date of the actual election? Eighteenth of June. All right. Great. Thanks a lot for that, um, James. And uh, it's twenty eight past um, nine o'clock, and we've really come to the end of another program of Asia Pacific um, Currents. And stay tuned for Palestine Remembered, which will be coming up straight after the next uh, community announcement. But that's uh, really that's all from me, Pierre Morrow, me Giselle Hanna, and me James Barry. You've been listening to a Three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station Three CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.